We got a bunch of stories floating around the internet involving business, culture, politics. We're going to pull a little bit of them out, a few of them out for our audience. Uh, as they're driving to work, they're building their businesses, they're doing the thing that entrepreneurs do that's so important to this country. So quick rundown and then we'll jump in. So we got Sam Altman. I'm going to, I'm just going to leave it at Sam Altman so we don't give it away. Yeah. We got the WNBA versus the NBA conversation is continuing to rehash as it does in cycles. We got the, he gets us. Uh, I don't even know if this is the organization's name, but they are spending roughly a hundred million dollars committing to spending a hundred million dollars in marketing to market Jesus. Then we got house bill that passed this morning that you made me privy to. We got a stock market crash over in China that I'm looking forward to you digging in and helping us get some clarity around. We got Clarence Thomas absolutely destroying Colorado lawyers. And last but not least, a shooting over the weekend at a church. For those of you who don't know, Sam Altman, uh, he's co-founder of OpenAI uh, and serial entrepreneur, Y Combinator. Uh, if you're in business, you know who he is. But he's taking a big bet that, uh, if successful, has the potential to reshape industries, nations, uh, across the globe. And that bet is to raise $7 trillion. With a T, which is 7% of the global <laughs> GDP. <laughs> Seven with a T uh, to reshape the global AI landscape. Uh, in particular, with a focus on the chip side of things, how so how the AI is actually powered. Yep. Uh, but the breakdown of that, I thought was fast was interesting. So Nasdaq put out an article, and they said that is a lot of money. First sentence. Yeah, thank you. We need that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for stating the obvious, but we need to state it because it's not commonplace what he's doing. He says that's bigger than the annual economic output of every country in the world besides the U.S. It is bigger than Great Britain and Germany's economies combined. It is bigger than Microsoft and Apple combined. And it is about 14x the size of the entire global semiconductor industry. Oh. That's pretty significant. Now, yeah. relying on Asian nations, Saudi uh, and the U.S. and other business partnerships, that's easy to keep people involved in this. What are your initial thoughts on, on a move like this? Uh, I think a, more of a question. Do you think the Internet would be as successful as it was without the evolution of the personal computer. Yeah. So I think he, I think he's thinking the same thing, which is in order for adoption to happen at scale, we have to solve the crucial problem, which is the processing for AI technology is uh, behind. And it's currently 80% of that market is controlled by NVIDIA. <clears throat> so he's, he's trying to force the change. It's the same thing with, Cell phones, right? Cell phones wouldn't nearly be as successful as they were if they hadn't solved for, <clears throat> excuse me, if they hadn't solved for the tower problem, right? There was only like, I think when they first started, if you watch the BlackBerry documentary, it was like they could only get 500 phones to, uh, to one cell phone tower until they like reverse engineered it and they were able to get like 10,000 phones. And so a, a pretty big breakthrough is needed in order to see the adoption I think that they want and usher in the next era of the web effectively, which is AI driven. Yeah. And, 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 and it's interesting because just to be clear, he's talking about not you, but Sam Altman. I talked to him personally. Uh, <clears throat> what we're talking about is 
next level AI. We're not just talking about material compilation and manufacturing chips. We're talking about there's an there's an outcome attached to this work. This is next level superpower AI kind yeah. of stuff. To be clear, to your point about a revolution. What's the? Uh, do you know the adoption of AI at the moment? I don't. Be- Say it again. Yeah, there's this thing that they use in technology for the adoption curve, the S curve. And it basically says for however long it took to reach 10% adoption in the same time period, we'll, we'll achieve 90% adoption. Wow. So like an example of that would be wow. electric cars. It's been like 30, 35 years, and we still don't have 10% adoption of electric vehicles. So let's just say it takes 40 years to get another 90% adoption. It's going to be about 40 years. Which is quick because it took right. it took forty years to get ten percent adoption. Bitcoin's another example of that, right? Where we're now into the era where the we're now into the era where the adoption curve is um, we're we're past ten percent, yeah. right? So we're, we're exponentially. My bad. We're exponentially. <laughs> this guy's trying to tell me he's not getting sick. I'm Exp- not. It's, it's something in here. <clears throat> we're exponentially increasing our adoption of of Bitcoin, right? So AI, I think at least in my personal experience is being adopted like nothing I've ever seen before. Yeah. It's integrated into everything. That said, the one thing that would slow it down would be computing processing can't actually keep up with it. So, I mean, just to that point, the only thing, you know, there's a lot of what goes on in the AI space that many of us don't understand. But if this is successful, I think I tend to think of like all the fantasies, all the books, all the stories it's that much closer to actually being happened in terms of the type of technological advancement we can see interacting with us. I think yeah. it's extremely fascinating. I, I saw, so if you've ever gone back and kind of looked at the original founding uh, documents for Google, their mission has always been to have the ability for a person to search without having to type in a keyword. Mm. How do you do that? I was sitting there the other day and watching the commercial and they pulled up a picture via like a, a Google Android phone and they just circled the the element in a picture that this guy was trying to track down, and it actually ran a AI driven like Google search looking for that product. Wow. And so that's just the direction that we're going. A world where we don't have to actually it's more intuitive. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. It understands natural communication and thought process. You don't have to hack the the keyword to get what you actually want. I love it. That's cool and creepy. And fascinating at the same time. It's also important, though, if, if you're an entrepreneur, like it, it's just that relevant. Like right. if, if you're not adopting AI today and you don't think you're one of those people who thought that, oh, the Internet is just a fad. I hate to break it to you. There's a lot of money being thrown in that direction. Right now. Yeah. And, and legitimately, your days are numbered. So. Correct. OK. So that being said, speaking of understanding, uh, throughout the. You know, you don't watch sports, guys. Samson doesn't really tune into sports. I, I, I ain't got time for that. You know, I've, I've tapered off myself over the years, but when it comes to combat sports and a little bit of basketball, I'll, I'll, I'll tune in. Big events. I'll watch big events. Yeah, big events for sure. But there's this continuous discussion that's been happening over the last several years about WNBA, NBA, fair pay, equal pay, respect, all this stuff. You saw Clay, what's his name? Clay Travis put out a bet a couple months ago. Like, I'll pay the best girls team, a million dollars to play the best high school team of my choice. And if you win, you keep the money. If they win, they get the money, you know? And so there's been this 
constant reoccurring discussion. But our own Michael Porter Jr., forward slash guard for the Denver Nuggets, is a great player. Uh, he was recently on a podcast, and he had the following clip. He had the following words to share about his thoughts on why the women ultimately aren't getting equal pay. But the response from WNBA players, including Lexi Brown, who we're going to show, is a very interesting lesson for those of you out there who are building businesses because there's a fundamental principle that you cannot escape that we're going to dig into from these two people. I want to get paid more. Um, and they're very talented, but so is, so is a famous ping pong player. They're just as talented as, as a... Like the best ping pong player is just as talented as the best basketball player. That doesn't mean they're going to get paid the same because it's because right. they play what, ping pong. It's what the people want to watch. You know what I mean? So oh. as much as I understand females wanting the same treatment as as men basketball players, it's 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 a different sport. People they're not packing out the arenas. Obviously, their TV deals aren't the same. So as much as I advocate for women and kind of the equality of the respect of their craft and all those things. I mean, you can't pay them the same thing, you know, but I do feel like they should, there, there should be a little way to make a little bit more money for that. All right, pause that. Yeah. So, right, we get that. It's like customer, producer, right? Okay. Well, next clip is a WNBA player currently in the league. Uh, she, this was her rebuttal to this, and we may skip through some of it, and there is some language in there that we'll cut out and post, but... I want you to contrast the two responses, the two the two statements, and then let's look at some of the numbers. Oh, okay. So, I mean, there's, like, a lot to unpack in his, like, statements, identifying us as females instead of women the whole time, um, that we can't get treated the same, and then he he then says treatment to payment, which are two completely different things. We can still be treated with respect, and they can respect our craft without us making... 20 to 30 million dollars a year like those things are not like those th both of those things can happen we cannot get paid 30 million dollars and we can be respected and treated well for being professional basketball players lowering the rims comment you already know how i feel about that it's stupid it doesn't benefit me personally at all because i'm can't not gonna dunk yeah. i can't dunk on a 10-foot rim i'm definitely not gonna dunk on a nine-foot rim it's gonna fuck up my shooting it's gonna fuck up everybody's shooting and i just feel like the way he plays basketball, like he shoots a lot of threes. I just don't, you don't, he doesn't dunk. He wants us to dunk. So like the tenor of response, right? We don't even have to break that down. She I mean, my down. first question is just, <clears throat> if we're talking about equal pay, then it would have to be, you'd have to be playing in the men's league and be just as damn good as they are. Right. They're two separate businesses. Two separate businesses. One Where does the, feeds where's the, the money come from? It's not like you just right. pull it out of your out right. of the air. Like, that's not how that works. No, it's not. And so it's 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 misguided to just say like we should be paid equally and fairly for what we're doing over here. And I love his explanation of you know great ping pong player. Like nobody wants to watch that. Right. As soon as you start packing out stadiums and there's a ton of money behind it and sponsorship, then by all means. Well, actually, you look across certain parts of the world, it is popular. Right. And they they will they're just as famous yep. because of that. Right? right. I think the the one thing to note, if I'm talking to an NBA, a WNBA player, uh, here's a hot take for them. It's like, oh, you don't wanna we don't wanna lower the rims, we don't wanna make these changes that make us appear less. Well then you 
do not want to put out a better product and you don't want to make more money because people will actually tune in if it mirrors what they see at the highest level in terms of guys doing all these dunks and stuff. You want to get paid like them, you might want to get that much closer to being able to do those kind of things. That's not to say that what they're doing is not incredible. No, and that's her point. That was his point. And then she conflated the point. She said, hey, how can you say you respect us and not pay us the same? That's, let's just change the environment and a commission <laughs> selling environment. I have 100 salespeople. Right. One of them's making a million dollars a year. The other one's making $50,000 a year. It's because one of them is better than the other one. Right. Facts. There's no other way around it, right? Yeah. The free market will determine who makes and gets paid more money. So if, if you want equality, then put out a better product. Put out a better product. Now here are the numbers as we close it down. Look at this. Revenue, and this is just last year's numbers. Revenue for the WNBA, $10 billion. Revenue for the WNBA, $60 million. Average salary. Say that again. I think you said that backwards. Revenue for the NBA, $10 billion. $10 billion. WNBA, $60 million. Wow. Right? Average salaries. Not even a tenth. Wow. Not even Average salaries, $9.6 million for the NBA. Uh, WNBA, $100,751. That's still respectable. Still respectable. Top, your, your top one person. No, no, you're not top one percent, but you're top 10. This is coming from a guy who led strategy for a hundred million dollar a year revenue company. And we didn't have people at our organization making a million dollars a year. Facts. Where's the money come from? Right. High average ticket price, NBA, $94. WNBA, $47. Highest paid payer, $48 million, Steph Curry. In WNBA, Jewel Lloyd makes 228,000. And here's the, here's the real, the real bread and butter of all of this, guys. Average viewership for the WNBA, for the NBA finals, 12.4 million. WNBA finals, 412,000 viewers. Average attendance, 17,000 for the NBA, for the WNBA, 5,600. So that is the difference. It's the numbers don't lie. You can get, you can have a viral clip of Alexi Brown or Michael Porter Jr. or any sort of Kelsey Plum or anybody else who's going to hot take and stand on it. But the truth is the people don't want to watch. Well, let's just, how much were they getting paid 20 years ago? I don't, it didn't even, I don't, I mean, actually it That's didn't my exist. Point, it was right? brand new. It was brand new. Yeah. But it's all, it's all relative. Right. right? So like prof professional men's basketball has been around since the seventies. Right. So oh, before that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the point being you got, you're on a incredible trajectory. Like we can't, you can't compare It'd be like somebody just getting started in their career, comparing themselves to somebody who's been at it for 50, 60 years. Yeah. That's, those things aren't even comparable. And, and that, that's the main point for the business owners listening is that the comparison game will kill you. Yeah. Your inability to look at what the numbers in the market actually say will ultimately kill you also because the market will tell you how much you are actually worth. Correct. And that, as you guys are building your businesses, as you're dealing with employees and helping your team understand this in the middle of, content saying demand more money and all this stuff, the numbers don't lie. The market speaks and you can have great confidence as you build, as you lead, as you grow, as you reinvent. And maybe the WNBA will take a lesson from our podcast. Yeah. I hope I so. it. <laughs> okay. Moving gears. He gets us. Are you familiar with the, he gets us campaign or organization? Yeah, a little bit. <clears throat> okay. So they spend, they're spending committing to spend roughly a hundred billion dollars, uh, in marketing during Super Bowl and just marketing in general to ultimately help evangelize people. But they found themselves getting destroyed on Twitter 
and all across the internet based on their Super Bowl ad and uh, where they depicted, they basically had a bunch of, they changed their format. Instead of going video, they did still images that were drawn and they had some, some conflating images between like washing, everything was about washing the feet and the whole message was Jesus, Jesus didn't spread hate. He washed feet. And, um, but they're getting taken to task by even non-Christians that are like, that's clearly based on your imagery, based on how you're positioning this, you're distorting the message. And so I bring this up today because we walk by faith in Christ. What do you think about people trying to distort the biblical message, what Jesus actually taught in the name of appealing to people who don't believe? We, we know what the apostate church is, church is, and that's where we're heading, right? Where it's, it's taking the church and the culture of Christianity is actually anti-mainstream. It's like the antithesis of what the world teaches and preaches. And the moment that the church crosses over that line to meet the worldly view is the moment that we're no longer... We are in an apostate church. You're not the church. We're no. not the church anymore. We're not. We're not living up to biblical principles. So to say that, like Jesus, Jesus was born a Jew. Right? He he practiced Judaism. It lived up to the Old Testament. Fulfilled a ton of prophecy from the Old Testament in order to prove the validity of the new the New Testament or the new covenant with with God's people, and so those rules didn't change, didn't change. Right. And like all of a sudden he was just like, you can go be immoral. No, but what he, what he was saying is that the, the age, the old age of, you know, sacrifice and, and things like that to gain dependence was no longer necessary. And that he took that responsibility. I'll be the sacrifice. Right. So it's, it's the same way that like, I can love a drug addict and not agree with their lifestyle. And so, uh, or an alcoholic, or whatever it might be, um, we're still all sinners. That, right. that doesn't change. So you can be you can be loving, and not necessarily be accepting. Right, right. And that's the confusion. And but that's what people. That's what the world wants, right? Because right. it feels warm and fuzzy. Right. No and they can still keep doing what they're doing, without having to sacrifice. Right. And literally, that to follow Christ, you're going to have to sacrifice. Yep. Well put. And I mean, the only thing I add is like, if you're receiving these types of messages and you're confusing, it's confusing to you, go read the Bible and see what it actually says. Because that's the key is like, even non-believers are seeing like, that ain't what the text says when you try to do these things. When you try to make it appealing in the name of love, like, so I thought it was a great take. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. (laughs) Okay. So you sent me this this morning. Uh, House bill passed through the Senate this morning, going to the House. Uh, $95 billion in aid. I believe it's actually more than that total, than in the total package. But um, this astonishing part that you sent me is that in the middle of all these billions going to other foreign nations, zero is going to address our nation's border. Yeah, so we're sending $95 billion to Ukraine to protect their border, but zero to protect our own. Zero to protect our own. All Democrats except Peter Welch and Jeff Merkley voted, voted in favor of the $95 billion yeah. bill that we're going to send foreign aid over to wow. Ukraine. 
so, so it's easy. So, you know, we, we constantly, we do talk about this because this matters and, you know, we appreciate the, the blessings of being in this country, but what is your advice for our Democrat friends like that are not involved in the politics, but they're living the lives of everyday American people? Because the only way this stops is when the mind, when the brainwashing and the port and the great marketing and the, the nonsense continues to be effective for people who support this. Is there any, is there anything that we can? No, I mean, I, I do think people are getting tired of it, right? right? It's like we have homeless people on our streets, uh, veterans who fought for this country who can't afford to, live um, people who are way below their means and we're just letting anybody into the country giving them paying for them yeah paying for them to be here 500 million dollars which i don't want to this this is the angle they always try to take like we're anti-immigration it's not we're anti-illegal immigration right and so but you're against crime my grandparents were immigrants my great-grandparents were immigrants yeah they came over at ellis island right do you realize that during world war ii when my grandparents came to the united states that they immigrated, they were Italian. Well, guess guess who nobody liked? Italians sided with the Germans, the Nazis. So you you know the era of racism against Italians was incredibly high when they made their place here in the United States. And you know what my grandfather did? He respected this country so much that he said, "You don't speak Italian outside the house. If we're here, we're American, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna become yeah. Americans and live in that culture. Otherwise, we should have just stayed our ass back in Italy if it was so good." And so I have a real problem with people who think that we should be supporting other nations before we take care of our own house. Mm-hmm. And, and so to my Democratic friends, I, I think that they're actually just waking up to it. And they're going, this literally doesn't make any sense. $95 billion with 365 million people here in the United States. We could take that money and pass it out uh, liberally. And it would, it would do a lot to change a lot of people's lives here locally. And so, you know, we're, we're fighting a proxy war, whether they want to admit it or not. Right. And, um, and our next story kind of segues into that, which is just talking about China's stock market and, you know, what's happening with them, their allegiance to Russia. Right. Well, do you, do you want to open that or should I cover a little bit of the article? You go cover a little bit of the article. Okay. <clears throat> well, check this out. Speaking of Sam Altman's seven trillion, yeah. China's seven trillion dollar crash masks the really bad news. This is courtesy of Forbes. Uh, he opens with economists are struggling to put China's epic seven trillion dollar stock crash in perspective. The best size and scope may, may be that since 2021, the market has lost the combined GDP of Japan and France. And that's not even the worst news coming from Asia's biggest economy. There's references, excuse me, the reference here isn't to Chinese deflation deepening at the fastest pace in decades or that the Evergrande uh, or that China Evergrande is trending again. The reference is to the war that Xi Jinping's inner circle seems to be waging against bad news itself. So they don't even want people knowing about this. <laughs> in recent weeks, the state security ministry has reportedly made clear that Beijing is on the lookout for those putting out negative views on China's, China's economic and market prospects. This chilling warning not to denigrate China's economy via false narrative is Mao Zedong, not Adam Smith. And it raises troubling questions as China influence soars. China's top intelligence agency is saying the quiet part out loud as it prioritizes strengthening economic propaganda. This is direct quote. It prior, it's prioritizing strengthening economic propaganda and public opinion guidance. Yep. 
last next sentence, this is truly disturbing. Though, it's what's written between the lines in bold font. Wow. Um, when, yeah, we, we, a couple weeks ago we talked about Evergrande, right? They had a $300 billion in debt, yeah, um, which they aren't paying, defaulted on, they're being forced to liquidate. Um, China has decided to side with Russia. For obvious reasons, China has an oil problem. And so, you know, Russia is a big oil producer. And so, of course, they're going to sign. Right. They need to get oil. The United States control. We can, the United States has more oil and gas than Saudi Arabia. So tomorrow we can cut them off um, and make sure that they are, they lack any kind of power right. to compete yeah, in, in the marketplace. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, of course, they're going to side with Russia. Um, you, you know, you're seeing the formation of BRICS and, you know, new partnerships, we'll call them, between nations allegiance between nations but china's having a you know 2008 moment mm. you know their their housing market's crashing their stock market's crashing but what i think is more interesting is people who are still on one about marxism and communism this this quote came on twitter from marxist one which is an account that is pro what a name marxist yeah. one. <laughs> um, but the chinese stock market is not their economy uh, they are not capitalists. It can crash and they would be fine. So my first question is. <laughs> His Marxists, be gracious. <laughs> my first question is, these companies, where do they sell their goods? Because they're, they're producer nation. They export like crazy. So where do they sell those goods? They sell them here in the United States and to other countries that consume their goods. We're the largest consumer globally out of any other country in the world. So, yeah. One, two, the, the money... Who's investing in that? Mm. It's not. It's not us, right? It's Chinese. The Chinese people and the Chinese government, right? And so, so that's just a an ignorant statement from a communist who right. doesn't understand it. Um, and then it says they've chosen sides. Their friend and ally, Russia. Why would they choose sides with their enemy? Because they both hate the USA. But it's really nobody fights over the middle of the Sahara desert because there's no commodities to be had. Right. So it's a strategic move because they need to control their oil mm -hmm. independence. And then it says Russia will win with or without China's help, which I, I actually kind of tend to believe. Um, and that's a whole different yeah, the, story. The, yeah. The, in terms of bodies, they're a more healthy body. Yeah. But, the, yeah. but there has been a narrative over the last, and a guy like Ray Dalio, who I'm really surprised has been, saying that the Chinese economy is going to actually trump trump the, the United States, which I think is completely misguided because of the house of cards that they've built and the propaganda that they pushed. Yeah, so anyways, Ray, Ray Dalio has been advocating for China as kind of the next place to invest your money. It's a house of cards, and it's all been propped up with propaganda to protect the communist regime and try to make them appear more successful and powerful yeah. than they are in a changing world economy. So we, oh, I've talked about this. If you haven't read the book, Accidental Superpower or any of the, the material by Peter Zion, highly, highly recommend it. But it's just talking about the changing world order and that the United States is unwinding itself from the global economy of which we were, we are moving to a producer economy and moving away from being a consumer economy, manufacturing, uh, oil and gas, all those things are, moving back stateside. And so coming out of this, if you're an entrepreneur, the point being is we're going to, we're going to do awesome. Mm -hmm. We're going to be fine. It's going to be a rough unwind. It's going to be bumpy over the next call it seven years, but now is the time to be building your company and your business. Don't let this stuff 
freak you out. It's actually a, a really good thing for us in the United States. Ooh, let's go. That's good. Okay, we got two topics left, but the way we're going to play this, because you got you to run here, you got to leave us all, our listeners and me this morning. We're sad about it. Um, so we got two stories left. We got the shooting over the weekend. And we got Clarence Thomas absolutely taking some lawyers to school. Now that clip is about four minutes. So what I'm thinking, we can talk on it, and I can just close this out with some audio playing that, try something a little different today. Um, and we touch on this transgender shooter thing real quick. All right. All right. That's good. Roger that. So, <clears throat> excuse me. For those of you who don't know, there was a shooting at Lake Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, which is the church led by quote the quote unquote church led by Joel Osteen and several others. Uh, a woman walked in with an AR-15, opened fire. Uh, she was subsequently killed, but in the process, her son was shot in the head, which is terrible. Um, but what they're finding out about this woman is the point of our discussion today. Um, they found anti-Semitic rhetoric coming from her uh, on the rifle. There were supposedly, you know, Free Palestine was on it. And she had some mental health issues with identifying as a man and identifying as a woman throughout her years, using aliases of both men and women, supposedly being transgender. And long story short, walks into the church, opens fire, is, is killed. Um, why I bring it up, though, is because in the middle of everything, the spiritual war that we are in, yeah. a lot of people are going to try to coin it a mental health crisis. But a mental health crisis is an extension of your spiritual state. You know what I mean? And um, just as we are, you know, there's other, our listeners out there, conservative, Christian, uh, centrist, people building businesses, running their organizations, this type of stuff is going to continue if we don't call a spade a spade and it won't be a church. It's going to be your business to run again. Yep. And um, I only share it just so we just continue to keep a pulse on what's happening around us because no one of anybody of any church to run into that if you're worried about a, a true Christian message, that's like potentially full of hate and repentance. It ain't Lakewood, right? It ain't Lakewood. So she probably should have just been hanging out in the stands. It would have been just fine. Um, so I, I mean, the direct application is just that we have to, we have to be aware that we are in the middle of spiritual warfare. As they say, the kids, they stay prayed up. Um, but yeah, dude. Yeah. Um, and, and just be ready to, to be vocal. Yeah. I mean, you can't, eventually it will show up on your doorstep. Yeah. And so being silent is just not an option. Correct. Anymore. Correct. Correct. Well, we're going to close out. We're going to wrap the show here with an exclusive audio premiere courtesy of Forbes art Forbes. I'm just kidding. It's not a premiere, but uh, what you're going to hear is a clip between justice Clarence Thomas and the lawyer representing the state of Colorado in Washington at the Supreme court. And for those of you who don't, don't know the ballot, ultimately it's about whether or not states have the authority to remove presidential candidates from a national election in their ballot. That's what's at stake here. And it's actually um, crucial to what goes on in our nation's election process. If states can start doing what they're trying to do from Colorado and now 13 other states, you said, yep. um, we have set a precedent that actually it's a drastic claim, but the nation ceases to be the nation. The election process ceases to be fair, all these different things. And so the clip you're going to hear as we close out is Justice Clarence Thomas engaging with the lawyer representing the state of Colorado. Pay close attention to it. Like, don't, don't let the rhetoric and the scene and the tones distract you, but pay close attention 
And real quick, just to set the stage, we live in Colorado, so it's close to us because sure. uh, my best friend of literally 26 years works for the firm here that represented the Trump party. And um, essentially they're trying to get him removed from the ballot for being an insurrectionist, which he hasn't been, a, he hasn't actually been proven guilty of. And so they're, they're trying to at the state level, they're suing basically the secretary of state. Uh, they lost. Right. Now here's, here's the interesting part about that though. The judge that tried the case in the state of Colorado was, is a Democrat. She openly donated to organizations that were trying to get Trump impeached for being an insurrectionist. Mm. So there's a definitely some bias there. It moved up to the Supreme court. Supreme court will over overturn this ruling in Colorado, yeah. but they're still pressing in 13 other States because they want to create confusion. So the truth right. is, is if, if Trump's on the ballot, you can vote for him. If he's not on the ballot, you can write his damn name in. Um, but this is, coming because they know that the probabilities if we're, if we're talking about the betting line in Vegas, the probability of Biden getting voted in versus Trump, the odds are not in their favor. Not in their favor at all. Roger that. Well, that being said, it's great being with you. Go crush this call. Yeah. Um, but play some audio for us and uh, let's, let's hear what was said on the Hill. Fifth Amendment where the states uh, disqualified national candidates, not its own candidates, but national candidates. The only example I can think of, Justice Thomas, is the example of Governor, uh, of, of uh, Congressman Christie, who was elected in Georgia in, I believe, 1868, and the governor of Georgia refused or, or declined to certify the results of that election because Mr. Christie was disqualified. But I think it's, it's not surprising that there are few examples because we didn't have ballots in the same way back then. Candidates were either write-in or, or they were party ballots. So the states didn't run the ballots in the same way. And there wouldn't have been a process for determining before an election whether a candidate was qualified, unlike the processes that we have now that states have created under their Article I and Article II powers to run elections. But it would seem that particularly uh, uh, after Reconstruction, uh, and after the compromise of 1877 and during the period of redeemers that you would have that kind of conflict. There were a plethora of Confederates still around. There were any number of people who would continue to either run for state offices or national offices. So it seemed it, it, that would suggest that there would at least be a few examples of uh, national uh, candidates being uh, disqualified if your reading is correct. Well, there were certainly national candidates who were disqualified by Congress refusing to seat them. I understand that, but that's not this case. I'm did states disqualify them? That's what we're talking about here. I understand Congress would not seat them. Other than the example I gave, no, but again, Your Honor, that, that's not surprising because there wouldn't have been, states certainly wouldn't have the authority to remove a sitting So what's the purpose officer. of the, what was the purpose of the, uh, of section three? Uh, the states were sending people. Uh, the, the concern was that the former Confederate states would continue being bad actors. And the effort was to prevent them from doing this. And you're saying that, well, this also authorized states to disqualify candidates. So what I'm asking you for, if you are right, what are the examples? 
Well, Your Honor, the examples are states excluded many candidates for state office, individuals holding state offices. We have a number of published cases of, of states. I understand that. that. I, I understand the states controlling state uh, elections and state positions. What we are talking about here are national candidates. Uh, the, the I understand. Uh, you look at Foner or Foot, Shelby Foot, or McPherson. They all talk about, of course, the conflict after the Civil War, and there were people who felt very strongly about uh, retaliating against the South, the radical Republicans. Uh, but they did not think about authorizing the South to disqualify national candidates. And that's the argument you're making. And what I would like to know is, you give, is uh, do you have any examples of this? Many of those historians have filed briefs in our support in this case, making the point that the, the, the idea of the 14th Amendment was that both states and the federal government would ensure rights, and that if states failed to do so, the federal government certainly would also step in. But I think the reason why there aren't examples of states doing this is an idiosyncratic one of the fact that elections worked differently back then. States have a background power under Article II and the 10th Amendment to run presidential elections. They didn't use that power to police ballot access until about the 1890s. Okay. So if you roll, if you, if you stuck it out and thugged it out, as we like to say around here for those last four minutes, what you heard is a Supreme court justice relaying to a state state attorney that there is no precedent for this. And whether you're conservative, uh, ultra-right, centrist, left-leaning, uh, even, actually, I won't go far left, but if you're looking at this and you're tired of what's happening in our country, know that that exchange is an indication that there are other people, even at the highest level, that are willing to say, where's the evidence? Where's the historical precedent? Where's the truth in this? Otherwise, you're wasting our time here. Um, and this is nonsense. There are other people just like you so continue to stand on what you stand for uh, as it relates to truth, as it relates to wisdom and the health of our nation and how we have historically and how we're actually built to function. Continue to stand on that regardless of your persuasions. Unite with those who do so. Go build your business. Go solve some problems. Go serve and take care of the people who are entrusting their time and talents and resources to you. And until next time.